In this conversation, we will be focusing on the importance of educating students on the topic of media literacy and critical media literacy skills, and how we can better prepare students to navigate the complex world of misinformation, disinformation, and media manipulation. We'll discuss practical real-world strategies for teachers and whole school frameworks to help educate students in critical media literacy skills and how to integrate media literacy into the curriculum. We'll also consider how teaching critical thinking skills and source evaluation empowers students to combat falsehoods and explore the role of schools, teachers and parents in fostering responsible digital citizenship. So thank you everyone for, for joining this discussion, really looking forward to it. Um, if we can do a quick round of introductions, that would be great. Um, Rianne, do you want to go first, please? Yeah, hello, my name is Rianne Webb. I'm a professional development expert with Britannica Education, and I've been with the company since January this year. Before that, I was working in academia. I was a university lecturer. So I've made the jump from academia into the commercial realm of digital publishing. And my role really is to um, identify professional development courses for educators around the globe and build these courses and create them um, to meet the specific needs of our customers. So that's what I do in a nutshell. Fantastic, thanks Ryan. Mike, do you want to go next? Yeah, absolutely. My name is uh, Mike Johnston. I'm the assistant head of school at Frankfurt International School. Uh, I've been in international schools for 24 years in different capacities, and uh, this has been an area of both my work and passion for a long time, so I'm really excited to be in the conversation. Melanie, let's go next. Hi, my name is Melanie Gudera. I've been working in Dubai since 2005. I came over to work at a school to head up the first uh, GCSE and A-level media and film studies courses in the UAE. Um, I currently work at Jess Dubai, which is a not-for-profit organization. Um, and we have three schools. Um, uh, we've got two primaries and one secondary. I work in secondary. I've been teaching English for the last nine years. So I kind of ventured back into my degree subject, but this year I've started an international BTEC at level three on creative media. Wonderful, thanks Melanie. And John? Hi, my name is John McDonough. I'm the Primary Technology for Learning Coordinator at the International School of Geneva. And in addition, I'm a trainer and course designer at the Principal Cent Training Center. And uh, I've spent quite a few years in education media technology, having worked in schools across Africa, Asia, and Europe as an IT director, deputy principal, and director of e-learning. And it's a real privilege to be here on this, what I find such a timely conversation. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Great to have everyone on the call. Um, yeah, so John, you're going to kick us off with the with the first question, uh, which is, it has been said that we're currently experiencing an infodemic. Um, so why is it crucial for students and young learners to become media literate? And what implications does this infodemic we're experiencing have for media literacy education? Okay, I'm going to maybe break this up into three little sections because there's a lot there. The infodemic is kind of the idea that we all experience is this over glut of information uh, and really fueled by algorithms. So a lot of this information is actually uh, curated and choreographed by these algorithms pending our behaviors and how we interact in social media platforms and our habits online. So we get a very curated experience and we get a lot of it in different uh, contexts, be it social media, on your television, on your phone. And this idea of all this information coming in and really never knowing how 
accurate it is, or it tends to be very much one narrative, the narrative that the algorithms feel I want to read and I want to engage with, and then I miss out on this whole other narrative. So, you know, uh, KnowledgeWorks calls us these toxic narratives. In other words, what we perceive as being true for one stakeholder group would be very different for another. And this just really complicates the media landscape, especially when you're in a school setting and you have children and young adolescents trying to come to terms with that. And I think also nowadays for teachers themselves, many of us have been educated in the time of uh, initial search engines, and we're really not that versed or maybe don't have as many toolkits available or that we're comfortable with to really navigate this idea of these toxic narratives of fake news or this information that we're really not clear on where to double check on it. The big issue, and you can already see in the context today, where a percentage of news that comes into our feed actually is not real news, and you hear uh, news organizations talking about how they triangulate and verify information that we're seeing on the news feeds, but the fact is sometimes they could be as mundane as gaming videos that are then sent out to represent events that are happening that actually are not connected to the gaming video. And so you've got this fake news. You've also got perspectives that often there's no fact checking. It's emotion. It's a very much a, a gut reaction and people kind of supporting each other. The bottom line is for any educational institution, because what we want is our students to be critical thinkers, problem solvers, really be perceptive, really understand the importance of balanced perspectives and how to really check that things are true. So when you're amplifying or sharing out, you're really giving a very level-headed, well-founded, fact-checked piece of information. And what, as this becomes more difficult, it actually impacts democratic processes because now opinions are so uh, separated and so toxic that actually people jump to one perspective and there's really not much consensus. There's this gap in between what you think is right and what the other person thinks right. And there are these bridges that are really lacking where people can really find an opportunity to be tolerant and open to these perceptions and perceptions and really digest that and then come to consensus on what actually is happening. So I think it has never been more important for schools to engage with it. And I think we struggle because A, we haven't really invested in the professional development for people to understand how do algorithms work? How do news work? How can we engage and kind of fight against this personalized experience? How can we bring a broad perspective? What are the resources we can do? And that takes time. And if we don't give the time, then what happens is teachers are kind of falling prey to this kind of, uh, what I would say, toxic narrative. And then kids see that as a model and then they engage with it and only amplify it more. So I can't think of a more important topic today if we believe in democratic values and voice for all kinds of marginalized groups and non-marginalized groups that were equal players in the narratives that we build about what's going around us, then media literacy should be a non-negotiable. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, um, John. And I think that's a massive part of civics education and uh, how the so democratic principles are, you know, really put into practice in the classroom. 
And, and I think that is an important thing to bear in mind is that when we're talking about literacy, we're also talking about what, why is literacy important? Okay, so to read, to write, you know, numerical literacies, there's so many different types of literacies and, and teachers, you know, will be doing that as part of their teaching practice, you know, as part of the curriculum. But the thing is, is that media literacy, as far as I know, isn't a specific subject. Um, we have media studies and Mel will talk about that soon, I'm sure. But John, as far as you know, how does civics education, how does that actually correspond with what's going on in classrooms, say, for example, in your school? Do you call it civics education or how does media literacy actually get taught in the school that, where you work? I think often, you know, media literacy, the, kind of on the philosophical and ethical level, it's through a theory of knowledge. If you're in an IB school, that's a big component. You have that philosophy and that questioning. I think there's a lot of research, a lot of units of inquiry were an IB school. So a lot of units of inquiry require research. But people, and, and this is no disrespect to anybody, kind of bumble along. They go to Google. They might go to some library sites. But we're not really getting kids to look at a feed from TikTok or Twitter or wherever X, sorry, and at unpacking that and saying, look, this is wrong. How do we know this is wrong? What are we doing to really leverage that understanding? And how are we equipping teachers to know that, yes, the TikTok feed actually is where a big percentage of the kids might be getting their news. Uh, it might be Instagram, it might be whatever social media platform. So I really think it's almost like re uh, revisiting what we think as media literacy and understanding it's exploded and it comes at any time, anywhere. And kids are constantly getting updates. We all are. So navigating that. I think, you know, what we're seeing is schools are starting to understand that. But I think there's no real clear framework that people are working with. And a lot of people are creating some really engaging lessons. But I don't think, you know, there is a framework that we can just pull off the shelf and engage with it because it's changing so fast. And there are different organizations, media literacy organizations, et cetera, ISTE and DQ. There are a lot of organizations that provide the platform, but a lot of it has to do with where do teachers have the time to make that a focus? Because they're competing a lot of other things, math, reading, uh, they're just all kinds of other things. But I think if we believe in these democratic processes of critical thinking, problem solving, and agency for multiple voices with solid perspectives, then we need to give it much more airspace than we're allowed to. Melanie, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on, on sort of the importance of um, young learners and students becoming media literate. Well, I, I just found what John was saying, it was so interesting and it was right along some of the lines that I was thinking. Um, for me, it, it kind of came back to what's happening in the classroom with students producing media. So we don't just have consumers now, we have consumer creators. So I was talking to my BTEC class about this the other day. And they're, they're, you know, 25 years ago when I started teaching, it was much more of a consumer um, kind of media literacy. Whereas now you've got the students producing media. And I think it's it's for often been quite an easy win in the classroom or let's make a little film about let's do a sound recording on this let's do some let's make an advert um and i think um what what where that is an easy win and i'll come back to that that sort of later on what doesn't always happen is there isn't always the connection between the recognition of the impact 
as a media product um, rather than kind of just trying to cover curriculum. So I think it's very easy to convince students um, that something particularly these days is is real. I think about a boy in my tutor group, he's in year nine, so he's about 13 and um, he wants to be a footballer. And I think he believes that this is going to be easier for him now than it ever was because, because of social media, it brings those, those personalities, those sports personalities so much closer. And so he, he, you know, we never want to squash anybody's dreams, but I think he believes it even more than ever. He also, you know, like a lot of them are, they're kind of very taken in by what are essentially all the get rich quick schemes and scams that we've all had to kind of navigate. But again, because it's so close and it, it, you know, social media can make it look so realistic and, you know, so um, kind of easy to get. It's never been more prevalent. So I think, um, you know, just recognizing the impact of the media that students are looking at and making, it's, it's just, it's absolutely vital for them. And of course, that critical thinking in media literacy is 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 really what we, we should be aiming for as well. Um, so, you know, this was something that I was thinking about, where does this fall in the curriculum? And it's traditionally fell to ICT or computer science, as we, we call it here now, particularly at Key Stage 3. It's coming through increasingly in English and, and having been an English teacher for quite a long time now, um, or gone back into teaching English, I found in the IB diploma programme that the Langlet course, um, you know, it, it's it's one of the integral parts of it is image analysis. So, you know, that is covered in other parts of the IB um, diploma program other than the film course that um, that is also part of the IB. Um, there are also kind of the, the media and film programs that are specific, um, but they're still kind of sort of a bit few and far between. Um, and the research suggests that there's still kind of this very little understanding and there is this gap between the, the learning that you do um, of the media or about the media in school and its consumption and creation um, is kind of 50% less time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. My, Mike, it'd be great to hear, hear your thoughts on the importance of media literacy. There's a lot in there of what's been discussed so far. Um, I would say I, I would echo the fact that uh, the media creation is the key because if we're creating media, then it comes back to, uh, it always comes back to assessment, right? And what we're actually assessing and what we're looking for, for students to do. And it makes me wonder if you look, if you look way back, we've always been asking when, as John, you were mentioning, when somebody says something, right? We've always throughout history responded with, well, what makes you say that? You know, what evidence do you have to say that hasn't changed? It's just we're bombarded with so much more. And I find that engaging students in the way the world works for the algorithms really intrigues them. Get them in the conversation about it. Uh, a good example is, um, you know, if you're studying marketing and you're looking at uh, the ideas of perceived obsolescence and planned obsolescence, when students learn about that to say, wait, I'm getting played here by, you know, companies that are making products to break 
after a certain time. So I have to buy another or I have to, they're making things that they're going to change the fashion on me and that's going to be changed shortly. So then I have to buy a, a flat or a heel or whatever it might be. They love that. It's super engaging provocation. So why not do that with the media literacies? You know, in the end of the day, why do we always have to be producing these products that are products of our era when you don't have to be on TikTok to produce a TikTok as an assessment to understand what that's doing? <laughs> uh, again, that comes back to uh, the, the teachers feeling comfortable to do so and recognizing that they are a co-learner. I mean, we could spend a long time uh, around the conversation of pedagogy of what that looks like, but um, I mean, it's, it's, it's fodder for learning. It's sensational. Great, Mike. And when, would you say that the way in is through inquiry-based instruction or inquiry-based learning um, to, to be able to, you know, inquire and develop those, that critical kind of mindset? It depends. It can be. It depends on the context and the age for the students. I mean, the inquiry spectrum is so large that uh, sometimes the provocation just needs to get them into the conversation to realize how interesting the conversation is. And sometimes you have students who are ready to dig deeply. And so it does. It depends. But yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to do it. And in the end of the day, you can structure your assessments around uh, looking at the media literacies, but unless people know that that's important to do or how to do it, which I think we'll talk about probably later in this conversation, it's a bit of a non-starter. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, moving on to my, my second question. So as media literacy is not usually taught as an academic subject at the secondary school level, um, who typically takes ownership for, for teaching media literacy and how can media literacy education be incorporated into the school's curriculum more broadly? Um, Melanie, it'd be great for you to kick off that question for us. Okay, I think I, I, I kind of covered a bit of that earlier as well. As I said, it kind of, it, it traditionally comes to, uh, I think uh, we expect IT or ICT or computer science, however you refer to it in the school, um, to start that ball rolling. But I think increasingly this is something that we do in English. And I know, um, you know, aside from specific media and film programs that should be covering media literacy, and certainly we'll be talking about, would we'll be talking about media vocabulary and um, essentially media analysis and, and critical thinking about media products. Um, in English, I know that at Jess, we certainly do incorporate um, kind of critical thinking about websites, um, media products like films, television programs. Um, of course, we need to do it uh, for uh, persuasive writing. So we, you know, we look at persuasive journalism as well. Very specifically, we've got um, kind of schemes of work from year seven through to year nine. Um, and it has actually been quite an interesting process over the last couple of years, because when we're thinking about, like, like Mike was saying, thinking about teachers, um, 